Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. I am Jewel, and I'm here with Cheryl today, and we are going to be talking about uh, the global state of the cannabis industry, and there have been some updates to uh, exporting, so we're going to get into that. And then we're also going to discuss Cannabis 2.0, which is the nickname that's been given to the second wave of legalization happening in Canada, where edibles, topicals, vapes, and tinctures will become legal and will be sold through licensed producers and retail facilities. And uh, we're going to get into some of the specifics of that. And we're also going to touch on vaping, which is a somewhat controversial topic, especially here in Canada. I know it's also been a controversial topic in other places as well, due to things like popcorn lung. And we will get into uh, what the regulations are saying about that. And then we're going to touch on marketing because there's been an interesting uh, update to the marketing aspect by the Ontario Cannabis Store specifically having to revoke some of their marketing per Health Canada's instructions. And then that will be our final part of the conversation today. So let's begin. According to an article from BNN Bloomberg, the Vancouver-based company of Xenobis failed an inspection to receive a key European Union certification last year hindering the cannabis producer's ability to ship medical cannabis to the European continent. Regulators in Malta published a statement of non-compliance with GMP, which is good manufacturing practices, and they published that against Xenobis on November 27th of this year. And the statement determined that an inspection conducted on December 16th, 2018 at the company's facility in Delta, BC did not comply with the European Union's good manufacturing production requirements In prior security filings, Xenobis reported that it had big plans for its medical cannabis business in Europe with non-binding deals to supply a group of Maltese pharmacies. Xenobis shares are down about 96% in the past year. It also added that following the inspection, Xenobis provided the regulator with a corrective and preventative action, also known as CAPA, plan to address those deficiencies, but it did fail to follow up on that plan. And so our take on that is really that you can't have good manufacturing practices or in the U.S. and Canada, they're oftentimes referred to as good production practices. And when you're exporting somewhere, you have to adhere to those standards that are recognized globally. And Europe is one of the places where those standards are not just guidelines, they are requirements. And so to know that you're not meeting the standards and then fail to follow up with your corrective action, preventative action plan just demonstrates a lot of what we've been seeing from the LPs in general, which is that Xenobis is not the only company, especially a a cannabis corporation that has struggled to maintain GMP standards, but it's also just another example of how the LPs are falling short and they're really not paying attention and, and having a detailed protocol when it comes to to producing this cannabis, which is is somewhat ironic considering they're supposed to be somewhat leading the industry 
but really I think we're going to see a much better wave of quality and detail oriented production as we see more micro cultivations come online because they uh, aren't just operating from the base of a corporate perspective, which a lot of times is based on strictly the bottom line and a money-making perspective where micro cultivations are a lot of times run by people who are very passionate about the product and not necessarily uh, completely focused on the bottom line aspect. So Cheryl, do you have anything to incorporate into uh, that aspect of micro cultivations being more detail oriented than LPs or what's your take as a micro cultivator? I find it interesting that Zenibus uh, was just, they just got another license and I remember looking at it online, but I can't remember what it was for. Um, they just got another license and they are big purchasers in the micro cultivation market. So I find it interesting that they wouldn't have initiated their kappa they may have have come up with a plan for it but they didn't actually follow through and i find that amazing that they wouldn't do that because uh, they had so much on the line that you would think that they would go ahead and, and fix whatever it was in their gmps so that they could uh, capitalize on the relationships that they've made with some of the micro cultivators and I think that's really another example of where the LPs are just, uh, they're not being as detail oriented. And granted, this is a new industry, but they're supposed to be the quote unquote professionals. Yes. And so it's a little bit ironic to see them um, in these uh, unexpected circumstances. And another example of that is actually coming from Aurora. So MJ Biz Daily has reported that Aurora cannabis medical marijuana products are temporarily unavailable in Germany pending a review by health authorities of a proprietary step in the Alberta company's production process. A spokesperson confirmed to Marijuana Business Daily that MJ Biz Daily corroborated the product's unavailability with several German pharmacies until further notice. According to the pharmacies, the reason is related to a method used by Aurora to ensure the shelf life of the flower, a process German authorities are currently reviewing. The company stands behind the safety of products previously sold to medical patients and has not initiated a recall, according to Aurora's spokesperson. So this is just another example of an LP that's not meeting GMPs for the European Union. And it really just ties back to exactly what we were talking about with Zenibus, where it's becoming clear that um, just like a lot of corporations that maybe used to be family businesses or have grown to the point where they, they're not being held responsible for what ultimately they need to be responsible for, and that's the production of their products and, and really being detail-oriented in that sense. So I think we're going to see a lot more of these type of events where uh, either the European Union or even uh, Canadian Health Canada officials are going to be cracking down on LPs in terms of the standards that they are meant to be upholding and that they are held to, but they seem to be failing to maintain on a consistent basis. Sometimes I think that a small mom and pop operation like a micro is easier to manage because everybody knows what everybody else is supposed to be doing and, and 
because it's small, you can see if a plant needs tended to or if the watering hasn't been done. And it's just um, a very hands-on experience. It makes me curious why Xenobus and uh, Aurora would have such a problem maintaining their um, their quality controls because they've, they've got a lot more on the line than than some of these smaller operations. That's definitely the case. And I hope that it's not one of those situations where they think that because they're a corporation and because they're publicly traded, that they are somehow above the standards that everyone else is being held to. Uh, as I said, I hope that's not the case. But at this current point in time, it does appear that it is either growing pains of an industry that's still sorting itself out, which is completely understandable, or it could potentially be the fact that some of these companies think that they are um, somewhat above the standards that everyone else is being held to. But yeah. as I said, I really hope that that's not the case. Yeah, I would hope so too. I don't know what, you know, how you could let something like that slip up in a, in a large corporation, but I guess it happens. And so now we're going to move into our discussion for Cannabis 2.0 Canada. And that's regarding topicals, vapes, and edibles. So the Global Newswire has reported that Oxley Cannabis Group said that it plans to begin sales of its Cannabis 2.0 products later this month and announced that it has signed supply agreements with nine Canadian provinces. The company said that it has secured more than 250 listings for its vape, chocolate, and chewable products in those provincial markets. Oxley has said in a statement that it's branded vape products go above and beyond applicable regulatory requirements to meet Canadian safety standards. In October, Oxley said it submitted 83 separate notifications to Health Canada prior to making its next generation cannabis infused commercially available. And so what's very interesting about that is Oxley really falls into that um, larger corporate cannabis structure. And so we're very curious about whether or not we're going to see the same disappointing quality from their edibles and tinctures as we have seen from LPs regarding flour so far. Pretty much anybody who's had exposure to the product that comes from the LPs has reported that it is disappointing in terms of what a cannabis enthusiast would be expecting to receive from a quote licensed producer. And that's a lot of the reason why the black market and the gray market are still thriving because the licensed producers who did receive their licenses before any micro cultivators have not been able to produce the kind of quality that uh, people who have been cannabis users for a long time are looking to receive. And new cannabis users, while they're not yet familiar with uh, maybe what great flour or sugar or buds look like, they certainly are going to start becoming more educated consumers and also are going to be, let's be honest, rejecting the LP quality that uh, so many users have just experienced and decided not to purchase from again. So I'm very curious to see if Oxley products are going to experience the same thing or if edibles are going to be uh, what people hope that they will be and really take off and introduce an entire new product of cannabis to a larger commercial market. And because many cannabis enthusiasts have been disappointed with the, the quality that comes from licensed producers, it will be interesting to see if this trend continues or if the cannabis corporations will uh, either 
get the hints that people aren't uh, aren't enjoying the product that they're producing, or if they're going to start working more closely with micro cultivators to provide a public product that people actually want. And so what, what would you say about that, Cheryl, in regards to the product that uh, LPs are producing? I think there's some LPs that have started small and grown um, in size with their skill improving. I've often, many times have I said that there are two people that go into this business and it's the grower or a business person that recognizes the opportunity. It's rare to find both. And so in a lot of these LPs, I don't think it's growers that are involved. I think it's the, the people that are sourcing out the money and want to capitalize on a, on a very hot market right now. Um, and so if, if an LP has grown small, started small and grown as they were uh, uh, increasing the I think they've had a better chance at, at survival and scaling where the guys that start with hundreds of millions of dollars, I think there's a, a gap there that I don't know if it can be overcome or not, but a lot of the stocks that we've seen about um, these publicly traded cannabis companies are not doing well. And there's a reason for that. And I, and I wonder if it is the scalability of it. And I think a lot of times, you know, you can't, you can't replace passion. And that's yeah. what a lot of micro cultivators have that is lacking in an LP. And that definitely seems to be translating. Uh, I, it definitely is something that translates in other industries. If you're not passionate about your job, then typically it won't be your job for very long. You, you really have to be passionate about what you're doing in order to advance. Well, sure. It shows in, your, in the production of what you're doing. And I think that's exactly what LPs are lacking. They might be passionate about the income or the profit or the business model, but I, I don't know that they're necessarily passionate about the plants and what it can do for people. And that seems to be the big difference between uh, people who get into microcultivating or someone who's looking for uh, the expected larger payback of an LP. Yeah, I agree. And there are, there are a lot, there's no end to the money um, of people that want to get in on the market just for the financial gain. It's hard to find. It's not hard to find, but um, finding the marriage between uh, somebody who's really passionate about growing and the money part, it, that's, there's a little bit of a disconnect right there. Absolutely. So now we're going to talk about something that's very interesting, and that's the state of vaping in Canada. And so we've discussed before about how vaping is, uh, it's something that we don't necessarily have enough research about currently to, to feel comfortable suggesting that people get into that market, but it is something that has just become legal. So PR Newswire has reported with a story regarding Supreme Cannabis as it introduces its dedicated manufacturing, processing, and packaging facility located in Kitchener, Ontario. In response to internal requirements and foreseeable market demands, the company leased the Kitchener facility, which is a 107,000 square foot facility with desirable structure features for large scale processing, packaging, and shipping. 
The Kitchener facility will function as a central manufacturing, processing, and packaging center for Supreme Cannabis brands. And once the Kitchener facility is complete, Supreme Cannabis intends to package, distribute, and brand third-party cannabis inputs from quality-focused cultivators. The Kitchener facility's strategic location in Canada's innovation hub of Kitchener, Ontario, provides access to large and skilled labor forces, highways and airports, and two of the company's other nearby operating assets. Supreme, Canada's, Supreme Cannabis will be retrofitting and licensing the existing facility in three phases. The company has completed the first phase of construction on the Kitchener facility, which includes a retrofitted multi-purpose processing clean room. At this stage, the company has submitted its application to Health Canada for a cannabis processing license. This license will allow Supreme Cannabis to conduct product packaging and value-added processing at the Kitchener facility. So what we're really seeing there is the same thing that uh, cultiv- that licensed producers have, have somewhat been doing from the very start. And that's getting very big very quickly because of a demand that they believe that they see in the market. And LPs have struggled to take off in regards to the stocks that we have seen rise up very quickly and then fall very drastically because they got too big too fast and they didn't correctly anticipate the market. Supreme Cannabis might be headed in the same direction with a move like this, especially with certain provinces moving to ban vaping altogether. And so there's two things at play here. That's that Supreme Cannabis is continuing to operate off of a model that has proven to be unsuccessful for several other LPs in regards to growing very quickly, spending a lot of cash up front, and not necessarily knowing your market well enough. And how could they know their market? Because it's brand new. The second thing that's at play here is that if they're planning on processing something like vaping products, they're going to have a challenge in regards to marketing to at least three of the provinces that have currently banned vaping products. And the Cannabis Council Health Canada regulations make it clear that cannabis concentrates are, that are found in vape oil are not permitted to contain anything that may cause injury to the health of the consumer when the product is used as intended. And so the reason that the Cannabis Council has announced this statement is because Quebec, Newfoundland, and Labrador have all determined that they are going to ban vaping products in their entirety at this point. At present... Back to the Cannabis Council article, there are no legal recreational cannabis vape products available and only a limited number of medical options. This will change as of December 17th in regards to all the other provinces when Health Canada will allow the sale of legal cannabis vape products by licensed producers. Health Canada regulations for new classes of cannabis went into force on October 17th of this year, 2019. And the regulations from Health Canada contain strict controls, including, but not limited to, good production practices, product formulation restriction, quality standards for ingredients, and high standards of testing. It's also important to note that regulations relating to vape products are even more stringent than those for other non-inhaled cannabis products. Further under regulations are restrictions on which ingredients can be used in regulated cannabis vaping products, for example, It is prohibited for cannabis extracts, including cannabis vaping products, 
to contain anything that may cause injury to the health of the user when the cannabis product is used as intended or in a reasonably foreseeable way. The use of sugars, sweeteners, or sweetening agents as ingredients in cannabis vaping products is also not allowed. So when we're looking at uh, the decision from both of all three of those provinces to ban vaping entirely, and then we're listening to the article from the Cannabis Council, which is sort of making the case that Health Canada has taken into consideration the health effects that that could have on the population. What really isn't being acknowledged is when these vaping health scares like popcorn lung and the various other lung issues that have come to the surface, when those were discovered, they still weren't clear on what exactly the ingredients were in the vaping pens that were causing these effects to happen on the, um, the human consumption aspect of using a vape pen. And so while Health Canada says specifically that the products cannot contain anything that may cause injury to the health of the user when the cannabis product is used as intended or in a reasonably foreseeable way, that doesn't say that we are totally clear on exactly what causes these effects. So that means that really anything could be at play here in regards to what could cause popcorn lung. And so at this point, the biggest risk uh, for people for people living in Quebec, Newfoundland and Labrador would be that people will continue to buy vaping products. They'll just be buying them from the black market, which is ultimately even more dangerous. But then the valid points of banning the vape pens is really that the, the health scares regarding vaping that has seriously damaged the lungs of those users. So there are valid points on both sides. And I think, Cheryl, that we just don't have enough research at this point to make a conclusive decision about whether vaping is safe or not. I have been watching um, the news and there have been, well, kids, I say kids, they range, you know, from 15 to 30. I've actually read a lot about kids actually dying from, from vaping. And yeah, they haven't been, they think it's vitamin E, but they haven't been able to conclusively prove that um, what the ingredient is that's so detrimental to their health. But um, I, I know Canada, we sometimes are a little more stringent with things like that. And I wouldn't be surprised if all the provinces and territories end up banning vaping. Well, at least until it can be determined exactly what the products are right. or that tests can be done to determine it's safe to use these 10 products. Yeah. We know that they don't cause. Well, the same way in our micros where we have to abide by Health Canada's pesticides, I think it could be done the same way that vape pens can only use these ingredients and, and not this list of ingredients. but I, I don't know inhaling stuff into your lungs just sounds uncomfortable to me well and i think at this point we just as i said we just don't have enough research to conclusively determine whether or not uh, it is safe for people to right. do so people will consider will continue to use these vaping products at their own risk but that doesn't mean that they're safe at this right. point so now we're going to move into the marketing aspect. And we've definitely touched on this in previous episodes, but uh, this is a particularly interesting article. So the MJ Biz Daily reported that the Ontario Cannabis Store 
backtracked on a Black Friday promotion after consulting with Health Canada, highlighting the limitations facing adult-use marijuana retailers, even ones owned by the government, in getting their message out. In a tweet earlier this week, the Ontario Cannabis Store said, quote, something big was coming to the OCS.ca. It's Monopoly online outlet asking consumers to, quote, shop our collection of seven grams starting at $7.50 Canadian a gram. That was promptly deleted and replaced by a communication that did not mention a price nor use promotional language. Instead, it mentioned only when Black Friday was happening. In consultation with Health Canada, we decided to change the creative supporting Black Friday. That's a statement from an OCS spokesperson who told this specifically to Marijuana Business Daily. Like others in the industry, we work with Health Canada on an ongoing basis to fine tune our communications and marketing efforts to align with their guidance. And what's so interesting about this is there are very specific marketing criteria for cannabis and rightly so because you don't want to be marketing a product like this to children. And that's something that we've seen done in the past with both alcohol and tobacco. And so we definitely want to avoid any ads that market a product that's meant for adults towards children. But there's not a lot of clarity around what is allowed in regards to marketing and what is not, as demonstrated by the government-run store running an ad that is not compliant. There are more compliant ways of getting a message across, but it requires finesse, creativity, and targeting. And that uh, was not demonstrated by the Ontario Cannabis Store. So while the outlines for marketing cannabis are not clear, there are definitely ways that it can be marketed. It just has to be done in a very specific and strategic way that uh, gets the message out, but that still aligns with Health Canada. And it's only made all the more clear that there is still some work to be done in terms of outlining those marketing strategies that are permitted if the Ontario cannabis store run by the Ontario government is also experiencing growing pains in regards to their marketing. So now we're going to get into something that's been a hot topic for us being being located in Ontario, but also for everywhere across Canada, because Ontario is the most populated province in Canada. And for that reason, it is strange that for a population of 14 million, Ontario has nine retail cannabis outlets. According to the Toronto Sun, as the Ontario government contemplates further reform for Ontario's cannabis industry, successful models from other provinces have shown us what lessons can be learned in growing a local industry. The government has passed into law, though not yet implemented, an open allocation model under which retail licenses are allocated to vetted retailers on a first-come, first-served basis. They also modified the mandate of the Ontario Cannabis Store, allowing for private run stores. These important reforms have opened the door to major economic growth, but only if we make the right moves now, moves that will affect thousands of jobs, the economy, and investor confidence. So as I said, Ontario is the largest 
uh, has the largest population of any province in Canada. And Ontario has a bottleneck issue right now with getting cannabis to the consumer, especially after research has shown that consumers are preferring in-store experiences rather than online cannabis purchasing. Cheryl, what is your opinion of the uh, retail situation that is currently unfolding in Ontario? I find this topic very interesting. And I find the last statement you said about people preferring a, a retail experience as opposed to an online shopping experience, I would have thought that it would have been the exact opposite. I would have thought that a lot of people would like the anonymity of being able to shop online and having a product delivered to their house without all kinds of people knowing that you're walking into a cannabis store. So that, that's quite surprising to me. Well, I think the reason, there's two major reasons for that that I am under the belief of. And that's the first being that for new users, they don't feel comfortable just ordering some random product off the internet that they don't really know anything about and they don't feel comfortable asking anyone about it. And so that's really why a lot of these people would want to go to uh, a facility, a store, a retail outlet that they were comfortable in that had... Um, you know, didn't have a hospital sterile vibe, but also didn't feel like a head shop somewhere in between. And they could ask questions about with informed employees. Yes, right about what what options would be best for them to try based on the the needs or the desires that they have regarding usage. And the other reason that I think that people are preferring an in store experience is for people who are users. There's a huge community around the use of cannabis. People who are enthusiastic want to talk about strains. They want to talk about the effects. They want to talk about their experience. Or if they have grown, they want to relay that knowledge to someone. And people are very passionate about this plant, especially people who've been using for 30 and 40 and 50 years in some instances. And so they don't want to just go onto the internet and order something that when it arrives, it's not going to look like the white widow that they knew from the grower that they've been using for well, 30 years. You're right. And it is a very social experience all the way around. So I guess it does make sense to that people would want to shop in the retail. But it did surprise me. I have to admit, I, I thought it would be the other way around. Well, cannabis has often been used in social settings. Yes. So it makes a yes. lot of sense that when purchasing, it would also feel more authentic in a social setting. Yes, yes. That's our conversation for today. I hope that you have enjoyed uh, everything that we've had to say. And we look forward to talking with you again on our next episode. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's C-W-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-S dot com.